welcome to Mind Witchery. I'm your host, Natalie Miller, and I'm so glad you're here. Hello, my sweet listener. I have such a treat for you today. Today's episode is a conjuring, meaning it is a guest witch joining me to talk about bringing a certain something into the world. And this woman, Dr. Giovanni Washington, is joining me to talk about conjuring creative courage. I'm so excited to tell you that Giovanni has created the only oracle deck in the world to feature real Black women embodying African goddesses. Giovanni is an intuitive healer. She's a mom. She's a speaker. She's a spiritual guide. And she is a woman who trusted her creative impulse, who created this oracle deck not once but twice. The second expanded version of the Black Goddess Oracle deck has just been produced by Hay House, and you can find it at your favorite online realtor. Without further ado, here is the conversation that Giovanni and I had about what it took for her to take this dream, this vision, and make it a reality. I hope you enjoy it as much as I did. Dr. Giovanni Washington, I'm so happy that you are here today on Mind Witchery. Welcome. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here. Okay. So you have, I think, made a a dream come true that many people I know dream for themselves. Mm. You have not only created an Oracle deck, like your own Oracle deck, you also got a Hay House deal and it is going Mm. to be distributed kind of like as broad scale as it can be. So I'm so excited to dive into everything it took for you to get to this place and so excited to get your thoughts on experience of creative courage, because that is what I know had to, you had to have had that in like abundance in order to make this happen. Oh, I, I love this framing. I love it. <laughs> it's so exciting. Okay. So the Oracle deck, tell us all about it. This is the Black Goddess Within Oracle deck. I actually, you won't be able to see it, but I have a proof deck in my hands. I got that a couple weeks ago. So that's really exciting. It's gorgeous. It's gorgeous. It's gorgeous. Yeah. It's a 44 card deck that's got 29 goddess cards and 15 ancestral wisdom cards. And the 29 goddess cards feature real Black women meeting goddesses from Africa. So these are not not illustration. These are not models. These are real like mothers, aunties, sisters, you know, cousins. These are people that you know. These are people that you are. And I think it's really important since we're diving all the way in. One of the big griefs that I carry is the loss of the stories in the middle passage. Mm. You know, it's it's everything that went down with the people. 
um, who were either drowned or, or came over and then were separated, you know, through centuries um, from their culture and their history and their, their ways, all of their cultural ways. Mm. And I feel like this work is stitching up that rift. So we're stitching, like we did, we did stitching within the collaging, we're stitching the women back into their sites of power, mm. you know, um, in Africa and that's in, in various places in Africa. Full chills. I have full chills. And, you know, when you said you were stitching up the rift, I had this vision as you said that of like, you can do that in a decorative way. I don't know if you've ever seen yeah. people like embroider a rip, like embroider it to bring it back together, because that is what I see you doing here. I see you stitching up the rift, but bringing like abundant beauty to that task. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. So where was the first spark of inspiration for this project? Uh, there were definitely two things that happened almost simultaneously. So the first deck, um, the second deck comes out in December and the, but we made the first deck in 2016. Mm -hmm. And so I think sometime in late 2015, I think that's about right. Um, I was doing a, some sort of goddess exploration with a group of black women and the Ferguson debacle happened. The, the men, the four policemen were acquitted who had killed uh, an unarmed black teenager in Missouri. And we were meeting on that day. And just, I don't really remember the conversation. I'm just really clear that we all left with a charge to change the way the world saw the black body mm. and the way that they treated Many of us had, you know, young black children. I myself am a mother of a now 13 year old black male. And, you know, it's a real impalpable fear that um, the world does not see or treat black bodies like they treat other bodies. And so in my, I mean, maybe it's a leap, but in my head, it made a lot of sense. Well, let's combat all of these images and all of the, you know, the historical degradation and denigration of the Black body. And let's put these beautiful images into the world that are connected to a history. Because I think a lot of what happens around um, marginalization of Black bodies is connected to this fact that, like, they think that we don't come from any place. Mm. And, and, we, and it makes it very easily makes it very easy to put someone in the category of savage or animal when you're not connected to a history. Mm. But we come from a history. I have to say that makes total sense to me because I'm thinking of the imagery of that moment. Like we saw, there's that iconic picture of all of those police in yeah. riot gear. And the black woman who like alone is standing to sort of like resist them. Absolutely. I mean, that image is seared into so many of our heads, I think, and and does show like through seeing we feel the dignity and the integrity and just fortitude um, of that. I did of that of that woman. So yeah. that makes total sense that um, that you would go there. Okay. So that's number one is like, let's show not just beautiful images, but also that are deeply kind of rooted and connected to Absolutely. history. To a history that started before slavery. Yes. Right. To a history that's pre-colonial. Mm -hmm. We've also been here for thousands and thousands and thousands of years. Mm -hmm. um, and the second thing that happened was, you know, I was really into card decks. I started getting really into them maybe 12 10 years ago. And 
I just realized I was using decks that didn't have people in them because the decks that had people in them were people who didn't look like me. Mm -hmm. There were very few representations of deities and mythologies from Africa. And I was like, wait, this is not okay. And then I ordered, I finally found an Afro-Cuban Orisha tarot deck. Mm -hmm. And Oshun, who is, I think, one of the most well-known goddesses from the continent mm -hmm. of Africa, was white, like <laughs> glow-in-the-dark white. And I was like, this will not stand. <laughs> I'm shocked. I just can't believe it, of course. I, I think I had that deck for like 24 hours and I got rid of it. It was like, okay, we're absolutely making a deck. And I had no idea what I was doing. The irony is I can't draw, right? So immediately I had to go into team mode. Like, let's gather the people. I put out a call. Seven women showed up. We worked together. It wasn't, again, we weren't just taking pictures. We worked with the goddess archetype and then the specific goddesses and their inner goddess. And I mean, I'm, I'm collapsing the process, mm -hmm. but we created a deck, you know, and yeah. I think December of 2016, we came out with that first deck. So I'm going to like take it maybe even a step further back to understand what sparked your interest in this mythology and in all of these goddesses. When did that start? You know, it's it's really interesting. I'm um, I'm not into the goddesses for the sake of like... Uh, Initially, anyway, it wasn't necessarily about, well, no, because I think it actually was. <laughs> I'm like, no, no, actually, I was pretty upset that there were no. I was like, why is this, you know, God always a white male? Yeah. I definitely have been having that conversation with myself since college, mm. maybe even before college. Mm -hmm. I, I'm not really sure what sparked my interest. It, it, I think it honestly came from a deck. I think I had an Egyptian oracle deck. Mm -hmm. And, you know, the Egyptian gods and goddesses are very well explicated. You know, everybody and their mama had their, the, the literature is thick mm -hmm. and deep with Egyptology. Mm -hmm. And I was like, well, there's the rest of the continent. Right. Right. And I, as a, well, maybe this, as a West African percussionist and dancer, I've been uh, dancing for, I don't know, since my early 20s mm -hmm. and drumming since my late 20s. Mm -hmm. And it's like, that's definitely where I, I, my soul gets fed. Mm -hmm. And, um, I'm really putting this together all right now. The way that we got that particular music in America, it didn't come attached to a spirituality, mm. right? If you take the Afro-Brazilian traditions or the Afro-Cuban traditions, for example, they came with a religion. And the way that we got the West African drum and dance arts through the ballets of, of Africa, they were presented to European audiences. And so they were broken apart. They were, you know, they were broken open and um, sensationalized for the stage, Right. And that's how we got the music in the beginning. And the, the, I think their first one was like 59, 1959. Mm -hmm. It's not that there wasn't religion attached to it. That's just not how we got it. Right. And so there was a sort of deep spiritual question I had about this thing that was really healing me spiritually, drumming and dancing. Mm -hmm. I was finding a lot of healing in this community, but there wasn't an explicit spiritual doctrine associated with it. And maybe that's where my research started. I mean, I'm an ethnographer. Yeah. I don't know if that answers I, the question. It so does. And what I love about it is like what it sounds to me like you were doing was you were kind of going from like interest to interest, passion to passion, like significance to significance. It, I, I think so often when we create amazing, beautiful things, it's not like we set out and we're like, I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to make it. It's like, no, I actually really love this music and I beyond love it. It is healing me. Why? Where did it come from? What is this yeah. actually about? I don't know. That's, I kind of see you as, yeah, like following your curiosity. I mean, I ultimately wrote a dissertation about how diasporic populations 
mediate the trauma of slavery through communal drumming and dancing. Mm. So it's definitely something that's interesting to me. Do you know? Yeah. Like, I spent seven years studying it. And that's after playing for and dancing for 15 years. Like, oh, there, there's something like, let's actually try to put words on what's happening here. Mm-hmm. Like, this is not this is not a phenomenon that's unique to Giovanni. Mm-hmm. Like, this is happening for communities across the country and, and across the world, really. Mm-hmm. Like, there's something about the djembe drum that has transformed um, the experience of West African music and dance outside of West Africa. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it is one of the bridges that I think is also healing. Yeah. Even in the absence of a spiritual doctrine. Yeah. How is similarly your deck a bridge? Like the djembe. Oh, I see this. I see what's happening, Allie. <laughs> well, let's see. For one, so I've been really thinking about this concept of diaspora lately. And years ago, probably around 2016, actually, I got my DNA done through Ancestry.com. Mm-hmm. I was excited and I got back the list and was like, great, I'm attached to, you know, 12 different countries in Africa. That's really unhelpful, mm. right? Like I knew that, but now I'm like, there was something so vague about the information. Yeah. It still meant that I couldn't connect myself to a particular place, but I could in fact connect myself to almost all the places. And then I did African ancestry much more recently and found that I was, my father's people um, come from the, my father's father's people come from the Bisa people in Burkina Faso. Mm. And so I think I found that out last year. Mm-hmm. But in 2006, I went to Burkina and I spent maybe a couple weeks there. In 2007, I went back to Burkina and spent seven weeks there, right? And in 2020, 2021, I spent a year studying with Maladoma Somme, shaman from Burkina Faso. So like Burkina has been calling to me, mm-hmm. right? Even though I had no idea that I'm genetically from this place. Mm-hmm. And so I think the deck represents the diasporic diversity of, and I'm going to speak specifically about African-Americans because that's my experience, but it's probably true for Africans in the Caribbean, Africans in Latin America. Sure. Be- because of the slave trade, we are this trade of enslaved Africans. We come from many different people, right? And it feels, to me, it feels, I, I don't know if disrespect is quite the right word, but it feels insufficient to say I am from this place mm-hmm. because I'm from all of these places. I have all of that blood and all of that experience inside of me, all that ancestral wisdom inside of me. Mm-hmm. And that's why I think that this deck is different than an Arisha deck. It's different than an Egypt, you know, an, an Ateru deck, the gods and goddesses of Egypt. Like it shows, d- demonstrates um, the beauty and the power. And I, I love this word discernment, like the wisdom that's in these stories from all over the continent I think is much more representative of my diasporic experience than saying I'm only Arisha or I'm only Neteru or I'm only this. Because really, I'm all of these things. Mm -hmm. What I'm hearing is there is both a specificity and a multiplicity. So it's sort of like I I want to be specific about the multiplicity, right? So like I don't want to, um, what I'm hearing, and please like correct me as I'm getting it wrong, but I'm hearing like, listen, it's so vague where we, I'm speaking, of course, of you, your African Americanness, where we come from. It's like so on the surface, it's so vague. It's so erased. It's so. Well, it's, it's so violent is what it is. Yeah. It's so violent. Yes. Right. Like it is a violent erasure. The fact that I do not know. And I am, I have done quite a bit of work with my genealogy. We can go back about seven generations uh, to, Birmingham, Alabama, and also to Marshall, Texas. We were there for many, many, many generations. Mm-hmm. But, but beyond that, there's a big, huge gap. Right. 
right? And now I have this information that's more from the origin in Burkina, at least for one of my lines. But there's still a lot of things that need to be filled in. Mm -hmm. And I feel like in many ways, connecting with this deck and the diversity in this deck, it allows, um, ooh, I'm going to say, I just got the feeling, like an ancestral imagination mm-hmm. can fill in those gaps, yeah. right? It, it's a healing. It's again, it's that it's that sewing up of the rift, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. right? Like you don't you, and I do. I claim all of Africa. I think colonialism that is the gift. Like if there is a gift, that is the gift that colonialism gave me. They had ripped me from it, and so I'm going to claim all of mm-hmm. it. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And that's, I think, what I mean about the specificity and the multiplicity. Right. It's like the specificity to say, like, no, I don't want it to be a vague, erased like I want to fucking know, like I want to, I want to know. And at the same time, it's like, how can I honor how, how multiplex, how many different aspects, how complex this is, um, without just kind of making it like, oh yeah, you know, I'm making like a gesture of like, you know, like Africa, right. It's like, well, no, it's actually like, there are a lot of, there are a lot of sides and places there. Okay. So as you were ready to depict all of these goddesses you wanted to depict them with um contemporary women and i would just love for you to talk a little bit about like even where that idea came from there's something that brings it alive when you're using photography of real people versus photography of models or photography or illustrations Mm -hmm. You know, I I think it probably was initially a practical consideration. Mm -hmm. One of the people working with me was a photographer. And I was like, well, you can be the photographer. Uh, And illustration felt a little more distant. Like it would put some distance between us and and the the magic of of these stories. Mm -hmm. But I honestly, it was probably more practical in the beginning than anything else. Mm -hmm. At this point, I'm really clear that we need that the photography matters. It is um, unwieldy and expensive and time-consuming, mm-hmm. right? And it matters. Mm-hmm. It is it is absolutely a choice that I would do again and again. Like we're actually about to start making the Black God deck and photography, 100%, without models. Yeah. You know, there's something, there is um, a resonance that I think is captured in the, um, we use the verb to meet because they're not acting as if, they're not... Um, even portraying is not quite the right word, but they're meeting, like mm-hmm. there's something that happens when that person puts on the outfit, right? Mm-hmm. I'm not, and I'm not saying costume, but puts on the outfit mm-hmm. and puts on the makeup that's appropriate uh, um, or not, that's the wrong word, but aligned with that goddess's story. Mm-hmm. And we know, even though they're taking a picture in front of a white or a green screen, we know what the background is going to look like. Mm-hmm. We have an idea of this this ancestral vortice that we're a vortex that we're going to put them in. Mm-hmm. Um, there's something about all of those things coming together that creates a resonance that you we don't get out of illustration. Yeah. Well, I'm also thinking about how you you know when you talk about the deck stitching together the rift and when you talk about well when i suggest maybe also the the deck is a bridge it's like well yeah so so there needs to be a meaning between the person in the 21st century who yeah. who is connecting and then the the kind of the energy the concept the story um the vibe of the goddess and i think there's also another level there's another meeting that happens when I think that is the woman is also meeting herself, 
right? So there's a woman meeting the goddess, but then there's all the work we've done to this point, all this personal development and introspection, Mm -hmm. and they're meeting a version of Mm themselves in that. So, I mean, if you take a step back, my theory of change is we're using contemporary women to meet goddesses from Africa to assert the humanity in contemporary Black people, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. It's not quite a tautology, but that's yeah, that's where I'm at with it. Yeah, I see it. So I see, I'm so intrigued. I love this, like this process. There's a kind of an, an outward facing component of it, right? That this, I'm asserting humanity. I'm curious also about the inward facing component mm. in using the deck, either either from people who've used the the first version of the deck, that smaller version, or even just from yourself, like what is that like? The internal experience. The first thing that came to my mind is, um, I don't know if this is the right phrase, but our pre work, like the work that we did leading up to the actual photo shoot, we were using images, we we're using the cards from the first deck. Well, here's the first deck. I don't. I keep showing these to you, like people can see them, but here's the first deck. I'm showing her the first card. And they're the and they're so beautiful, and it's just wetting their appetite to go get this deck for themselves. <laughs> and we had a um, one of our participants was visually impaired, and so we had someone. We began the practice of describing the car mm. at the beginning of the session. Mm-hmm. It was so useful for everybody right? Like to take a moment and to look at the card and to feel, to one, describe it or to listen to someone else describe it. Like one, you begin to see things you haven't necessarily seen. Like I've been looking at these cards for seven years and I'm still seeing things I've never seen. Mm-hmm. And I approve them all. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Like I was, mm-hmm. so, they're, they're so rich and layered, but there's something that changes in me. I'll talk from my own experience, but there's something that changes in me when I am called by listening to the description to really focus in on every nuance in the card. And then to see, again, my mother, my sister, my cousin, my aunts reflected in these cards. Like these women are me and I am these women, Mm -hmm. right? And these are not just women. These are goddesses. I mean, they're real women, but they're also meeting goddesses from a place that has this long history and these stories that have all this wisdom and information and what that means for how that translates like in my in my personal experience mm-hmm. is that anything that is possible for them for these goddesses for these women who met these goddesses is also possible for me mm. and so i think it just cracks open the egg of possibility right and it's so different when you google god image of god 75% of the results are white male. Mm-hmm. And, you know, there's a lot of research that says that when you think that the gods as a supreme being belong in white male bodies, that you also think people in leadership, people who are making decisions, people who are in charge and in management, those people should also have white male bodies. It's like, well, where's the space for my body? Mm-hmm. And by the way, bodies who are the global majority, mm-hmm. right? Where's the space for that, for um, all of the things that are imbued into the the white male supreme being, mm-hmm. all of those qualities then can be ascribed also to bodies that look like mine. And I think that's what happens when you look and work with and hold these goddesses from Africa. Mm. Oh, my gosh. Okay. So I want to just run highlighter over a couple of those things. One is I love that description of the deck cracking open the egg of possibility because I... 
I use a lot of imagery in my coaching practice, and I find that there is something about imagery specifically Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. that helps us to understand and process and experience and with with um full respect to our visually impaired listeners like um when i use decks the imagery is definitely one of the most important parts and the meaning is also important but i love that you in your own kind of creation of the deck had that and and using of it had that experience of like, okay, hold on. Cause I find a lot of times people go straight to the little book, right? (laughs) You go, you pull the card and you go straight to the little book. What does it mean? And I love this pause to say, no, wait, actually what's here. What am I noticing? What is there to respond to what's sticking out to me? It's that sensory moment that is so important because I think it that's what really helps us to be connected, right? To see like what is important in here. It's very sensual. Yeah. Which I think is such an important piece of I was gonna say being a, a woman, but like being a human. Mm-hmm. We're so quick to go to our brains and to stay out of our body. Yeah. And I feel like stopping and sitting and holding and taking in the imagery puts us in our bodies. Mm-hmm which will make like anything that comes after it so much better, yeah. right? So much more rich. The words that you're going to read in a little book are going to be so much better after you've sat and taken in the imagery. Absolutely. Yeah. And then I'm just thinking about, you know, moving through a world in which you Google God and he's a white man. You look at the presidents, the leaders of all of the different, you know, like we can intellectually understand that that is the product of white supremacy and patriarchy and all the systemic oppression, but we're still swimming in it. (laughs) We're swimming in the images. And so, yeah, to feel and to see and to have that sensory experience. I, I love, I love what you're saying there. Hmm. I'm curious when it does come to that meaning making part of the deck what does that look like to you? How do you think about that part? You mean as a user? Like, or as like a I'm talking kind of about the little book part <laughs> that of the deck. <laughs> so let me tell you about this little book and the effort that went into this little book. <laughs> You're like, don't call my book little. <laughs> well, you know, it's, in, it's interesting because we are on the podcast, in the PR, like we talk about the images because that's the thing you can put out and easily we, we understand immediately. And we're such especially now with Instagram and all the other platforms, we're so image forward. Mm. And images contain a lot of information. This book (laughs) is important. It was hard won. This is not shit you can go on Google. Yeah. Right? When I tell you that I I bled and sweat for these words and for this information and for this wisdom, Mm -hmm. it was tough. Yeah. It was tough. I had to put on all of my PhD skills to go get this information. Yeah. Where did you go, Giovanni? All kinds of places. Yeah. Like it's, it's proprietary now. Okay. Don't, don't, okay. Yeah. Don't, don't tell me, but I, uh, yes, I imagine so. I imagine so. Like these are not easy things. And I know because I've actually tried to Google. Nope. There's really, even still, there's really not much. There's really not. And there's a lot of bad information on the internet. That's the other problem. Right. And then people cite all the same source. I was like, well, yeah, but that source is bad. Mm. I mean, one of the most delightful moments I ever had was, I don't even remember what goddess it was. I think it was a goddess from South Africa. 
I, I found a journal article from maybe the early 1800s. And on one side of the page, it had the indigenous language. And on the other side of the page, I had, I think it was English. Sometimes I was translating from English to a colonial language, then to English. But I think this was mm -hmm. the indigenous language and then English. Mm -hmm. And so to see, it wasn't an interpretation. You know what I mean? It wasn't what typically a white male was thinking mm -hmm. what was happening at that time. Mm -hmm. It was, here's line one, here's line one, here's line two, here's line two, yeah. um, side by side. And that was like the most delightful, like I felt like I was being wrapped in the mythology coming out of the mouths of those people directly. Yeah. You know, I don't speak that language, but the translation was right there. It wasn't, there's certainly there was analysis after that, mm -hmm. but they also, they presented, you know, the, the side by side translation. Mm -hmm. That wasn't something that I found often. Yeah. Well, like I said, sometimes I'd have to go from like the indigenous to Portuguese or Spanish or German mm -hmm. um, and then English. Uh, Portuguese and Spanish, I read and write pretty well. So I could, I could, didn't have to get another layer of translation, mm -hmm. but sometimes it was the third order. And, you know, that information is, is hard. It's rough. Yeah. Um, there are cases where you've got to go way far back because they don't talk about that goddess anymore. Like the goddess doesn't exist. It's been subsumed. Mm -hmm. The goddess has been subsumed, Yeah. you know? And then there's also like, the, the academic bullying that's happening in some spaces. Like, oh, don't read her stuff because, you know, we think she's a crackpot. Well, you think she's a crackpot because she's coming with a feminist lens. Yes. Right? All this stuff. Like, she's maybe not a crackpot. Yes. In a former life, I taught yoga and I was super interested in, like, the gods and goddesses from India. Just, I mm. love that concept makes visceral sense to me that there would be a multiplex yeah. deity, right? Like that it wouldn't just be one. And I totally know this thing that you're talking about is that like, um, even when we're going to get as close to the original text as we can get, mm, we're still getting translations by white men. We're still getting, there's kind of like a never ending search, I think, for the goddess. I think this, this is exactly it. It is the never ending search for the goddess. And I will say this, this was a very interesting process for me, um, because I am an academic. Well, I was trained as an academic. I, I ran away 10 years ago after I got my PhD. I was like, okay, bye. See you later. I've done my, you know, I've done my time. But there was a part of this sort of, I guess, research integrity. Like I couldn't let things fly just because I'd seen them 10 other places. Mm -hmm. Like, okay, let me, let me go. Let me go see if this is, if I can really sort of validate or prove this mm -hmm. or disprove it as it were. Like there was one goddess that was a god right? It took me some time to figure it out. And I was like, oh, wait, no, we can hold on. That's that particular entity has to come out. But the, the flip side of this and why, what I think is really the, um, I'm, I'm moving my hands around because it's like, there's a, there's a texture to it. The, the juiciness, I'm, that's the word I'm going to use. Mm. The juiciness, I think of this book is that once I was academically satisfied, my brain was academically satisfied. I could let it go and open the portals and let the goddesses talk to me. Mm. Right. So it wasn't just it, it was enough to defend the goddesses as goddesses in some cases sure. or, um, you know, bring them to light or bring a particular aspect of them to light. Mm -hmm. And then it, it was like I had to almost get their permission. Yeah. You know, there are definitely goddesses who didn't make it into the deck and they they opted out because it wasn't about my it wasn't my choice. It was their choice. They were like, not now. And certainly there are, you know, secret societies. Like I'm not divulging any of those secrets because I don't have them because I'm not in those secret societies, mm -hmm. right? Anything that is, a, uh, that is in this deck is here, I think, by grace of these particular mm -hmm. goddesses. Yeah. Sounds like with consent. With consent. Yeah. yeah. I mean, they, there was definitely some channeling happening 
once we got like once I could release my brain, it's like, okay, now we're gonna open these other portals. Yeah. And so there's this beautiful marriage, I think, of the two sides. Oh gosh. That is so delicious. That's that's the word that comes to mind. That just sounds to have that solid, sturdy, academic foundation channel and then to get to pull the energy through the channel. Like yeah. that's just spectacular. Um so now that we understand, I think, a little more, thank you so much for sharing about why and how um, you set about creating this deck. I just would love to ask you about your experience of going so fucking big with it, with your hay, <laughs> with your hay House deal. Like, share as much as you like about that, like, did they approach you? Did you approach them? Like, how did this happen? You mean the contract with the largest international publisher of self-help and Oracle decks? <laughs> I mean, if you want to do a deck, that's the fucking way to do it. <laughs> so, You know, when we made the first deck, I literally was joking. Um, and I was, I said it probably often, like, oh, I can't, you know, Hay House is going to pick this up and we're going to do another deck. This was years and years ago. And I was in a coaching program. Um, I guess two years ago now. It was November of 2021. And uh, maybe it was October of 2021. And um, this coach would ask a question, something to the effect of, what's the most amazing thing that could happen in your business this week? So it was some, a question like that. And I was like, well, I'd love to get an email from Hay House and with them offering to take me on and you know walk me through the steps. And it's really interesting because I, I really came at it from like an intern perspective. Like, I don't know what I'm doing, even though I'd already done it. Mm. Like, I don't know what I'm doing. And then there was nothing. And then a month later, she asked the question again. And I was like, yeah, I'm still waiting on that email from Hay House. And she did some behind the scenes stuff and figured out who we needed to write at Hay House, instructed me to write an email, which was, in her words, very academic. <laughs> and she sort of did some marketing zhuzhi thing and really framed it so that I was a partner. So that I was a colleague working with Hay House versus, in my words, like, well, they're so big and high and mighty. Like, they clearly they've got to teach me how to do right. this. And I think we sent the email. It was maybe the week before Thanksgiving on a Monday. And then, like, three hours later, I had an email back from Hay I had two emails from Hay House. I was on a call with them on that Thursday. And then... The next week, they said I would get a letter the next week, which I didn't get because of the holidays, but that following Monday. So literally it was two weeks later, I had an email offer from Hay House. And part of it was because I'd done the first deck and I had this proof of concept. Mm -hmm. I think we sold 1,500 decks between 2020 and 2021. Mm -hmm. It was after Mr. George Floyd was murdered. And I think the world was in this sort of different place about racial reconciliation. Mm -hmm. And we sold 1,500 decks. And I, I did that by myself, not knowing how to run ads, but running ads anyway. Mm -hmm. And yeah, so I think the proof of concept, I think the connection, I think getting help. Mm -hmm. I don't know that I don't know that I would have pitched them. Yeah. Without that sort of uh like, hey, here's a channel and you can do it. Mm -hmm. Like I definitely had never looked on their site to see how you present, how you propose to to Hay House, even though it was something that was in my head. Yeah. Well, I mean, um, okay, A, to everyone listening, it really begins with your desire. Like a coach asked you, what do you, what would be amazing? What do you want, basically? And yeah. you're like, this is what I want. Like the spark of desire is just so, so important. I mean, really, right? 
I don't want to put words in your mouth ever, Giovanni. Like, doesn't a spark of desire start all the things? Like, didn't it start the deck? Well, I have big desire, so I'm going to go with yes. My desire is big. Yeah. I was like, could you want less? I'm like, no, I can't. No, no. I want all the things. No, we want big and like, you know, desire... I mean, everybody's heard me on this horse, but like, <laughs> watch me ride this horse around the arena. Desire is demonized, especially mm. women's desire, especially, mm-hmm. especially black women's desire. Right. So yeah. it's like desire is demonized and yet it is power. It is it is the most potent power. And so, you know, beginning there and then like, thank goodness you had a co-creator because I will I will say like, I think, you know, there are so many co-creators who are like coaches and I don't know, like copywriters and like, you know, all of these people, you had a co-creator who took your desire seriously and was like, all right, let's do it then. She did. Yeah. It was wild. It happened so quickly. Mm-hmm. Um, it then took like six months to go from that offer letter to contract. Like, I'm still not sure why that took so long, yeah. but it, it's fine. Um, and then it takes, 12 to 18 months to publish. Mm-hmm. I mean, and so we spent February to September last year actually making the deck, like doing all the pre-work, the photo shoot, and then the photoshopping and the, mm-hmm. the research and finishing up the the little book. The little book. Um, so I just got this. It was almost 12 months before I got the proof deck mm-hmm. in my hand, which was way slower than when I did it. But I also am not. I mean, the, their first run is like 15,000 decks. Yeah. So it's 10x to begin with. Now, there's also um, Abiola Abrams. Abiola Abrams is another author who came out with a deck in 2021 called African Goddess Rising. Mm. And she also has a book about rituals. And she talks, she features, it's not just African goddesses. It's like um, heroes and heroines and queens. And Mm -hmm. um, there's another word, but from all over the diaspora. Mm -hmm. And her deck has done really well. And so I think that also certainly paved the way. Mm Uh, it's a Hay House deck. And so that, that certainly paved Mm. the way, but I will say being in the process, like in the editing process and in this, now we're in the, um, you know, later today, I have a call with the social media team at at Hay House. Like I have a call with the Hay House people. It is wild, but it's really been, there has not been a single point where I was treated as an intern. Yeah. Not not a single point. Yeah. Right. And they're definitely collegial. They want to work with, they want to work with the authors more than once. And it's, there, there has not been a single point where I said to myself, oh my God, I can't do this. Mm-hmm. I don't know what I thought getting a deck published by Hay House. Like, it seems like something that was out of my reach. Mm-hmm. And it's I, like, I'm here to tell you the things are in your reach. Yeah. They're in your reach and they're doable. And it's not even like going out to get another skill set and then doing it. Just You can do it right now. Right. Whatever the thing is, you can do it right yeah, now. Yeah. Yeah. You know? I mean, I have to underscore again, that co-creativity and even, you know, a lot of times if someone were to say like, okay, I'm making a cookbook. It's all about vegan casseroles or something, right? A lot of times people are not saying, oh, there's these other cookbooks about vegan casseroles. Thank goodness. I'm so glad those other books about vegan casseroles are there because it's proof of concept, because it opens up the kind of interest of the market and because there's more than one voice here, et cetera. Right. And so even just to hear you say, oh, yeah, like there is actually another deck and a book. And I'm so glad that they're there because it helps to show the interest. It helps to demonstrate like the, you know, like that is countercultural, but that's that kind of like 
co-creative way, again, from the singular to the multiplex, right? No, we're, we're, we're all doing this. Like we don't have to be individual geniuses taking the thing from start to finish. There can be right. many hands in the process. That's right. Um, and other people doing similar things. And that doesn't mean that mine isn't worth being out there. A hundred percent. It's, I mean, our decks are different, you know, I mean, they are similar, but listen, how many decks of European goddesses exist? Listen. Hundreds, thousands. Listen. So if there's two now in the marketplace right. that represent goddesses from Africa, and by the way, they're not identical. We don't have the exact same people in the deck there. I mean, there's some overlap, but they're not identical. Of course. And again, illustrations versus photography. Right. There's you know, there's a whole process that we went through that didn't, it's, they're just different decks. I don't know how to yeah, say they're different they're decks. Yeah, totally, they're totally beautiful. Her book is powerful. Yeah. Like, go read the book. Mm-hmm. Full of rituals. Yeah. We'll put a link to it in the show notes too. Right. And of course, we will put a link to your deck in the show notes. It's so exciting. Now that like we kind of have all of this information about like you creating it, I'm just curious, like, what's the wisdom that you've extracted from this process? Like what, what did you learn and about you, about the world, about creativity? I'm just so curious, Giovanni. Ooh, that's a good question. Uh, like the overwhelming thing that's coming up as you ask that question is for me, so much of this was ancestral and it was, it was ancestrally driven. It was healing an ancestral wound. I say all the time, like, this is not necessarily something that I would have chosen. I feel like it was given to me. Mm. Like I was charged with it. Mm. And because so much of it was not in my wheelhouse, like I said, I don't draw. I'm a perform. I'm a performing artist. I'm a drummer. I'm a dancer. Mm-hmm. Um, but making something with images that I have to really tend to, like, like, like I couldn't just throw some shit together, right? Like I had to tend to this creation. Mm-hmm. I just got real clear at some point that this was. I hope this is not too woo woo, but like this was clearly an agreement I made before I got here. Yeah. Right. I can't not do it. Like there is, there is nothing that's going to take me away from this. Mm-hmm. And, you know, even at the beginning of this year, and I was like, you know, I'm doing all these things. I'm, f- I'm, I'm following instructions. I'm being obedient. And by obedient, I mean, I'm listening. Mm-hmm. Right. And I need some like earthly support here. I, I have earthly obligations I have to meet. And when I tell you they came through, they came through, mm-hmm. right? Like, this is, I, I feel like I'm going really far afield, but that is the, the wisdom that I'm taking from this, that I I am being held up and propelled forward by a, like an entire legions of ancestors mm. from all over the continent of Africa um, who want this work into the world and that it really isn't about me mm. at all, um, even though I'm in, you know, in the middle of making it all happen. Mm-hmm. There's something else going on here. It's about me. It's about these 27 women who joined me in this work mm-hmm. and their ancestors all working together. Like We're all healing through this process. Yeah. And that's what I would say. It's ancestrally given. Yeah. I love it's like what I'm hearing in there is it's ancestral. I'm hearing um, it doesn't quote unquote make sense. Right. It's like, it's it's not like, Oh yeah, obviously that would be the thing I would do. It's like, no, actually it. And I, and I think that's really important when it comes to creative courage, right. Is that it doesn't make sense. 
I don't know why you're so into vegan casserole. (laughs) I don't know, but you are. And so, right, like just keep going. That's what I that's what I just like honor so much. And I'm so fucking impressed by with you, Giovanni, is you just kept going. It was like, oh, it's actually really hard to find these stories. I'm going to keep going. Oh, I can't draw. I'm going to keep going. Oh, I made a deck. It sold well. It had 13 cards. I kept going. Like you just fucking kept going. Well, I think it's really important to note that uh, I think for that first run of the first deck, I bought 250 copies Mm -hmm. and I probably gave away 125. It took me five years to give them away. Right. And then I re-released the deck in 2020. So there's this long period where I was, I was exhausted from the first time. It totally took me out. I left everything on the floor. Yeah. And then re-released it in 2020, and the, and here we go. Like I guess I never stopped. It was always in my head. Right. And then here we go again. Okay. It's it's that makes me that makes me feel really good as there are boxes of time witchery anti planners <laughs> literally next to me as we're talking. I'm like, when are these going home? And yeah, you just got it. You just have to keep going. Keep going. You have to keep yeah. going. Oh my gosh, so delicious. Okay, so for all of the people who are listening, who are excited to use this deck. And these are going to be women with African heritage. These are going to be white women. I'm so curious, like, how do you want people to use this when you think about it getting into people's hands? How I want them to use it. Oh, that's so interesting. I think using the deck is probably most advantageous if you use it as a daily practice. I'm a real big fan of a single card pull. Mm -hmm. Like you can do complicated spreads, but you don't have to. Mm -hmm. Um, I feel like the simple question, you know, what do the goddesses have for me today? What do the ancestors have for me today? And a single card pull. And what I like to, when I'm working with this, with these energies with folks, I was like, these are not intellectual questions that the deck is asking of you. These are questions that have energy and resonance mm-hmm. and queries that are, again, are meant to, to crack open that egg of possibility. Mm-hmm. So it's about embodying that and letting it work inside of you. Mm-hmm. That's what I would say to people. Mm-hmm. Like, let the energy work inside of you. This is not an intellectual exercise. Mm-hmm. It can be, but yeah. it will be much more effective if you let the energy in, if you let it activate inside of mm-hmm. you and let it work. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the second thing I would say is that I believe that there is healing available for Black women in particular, for all the reasons that we stated for the, the, the entire podcast. You're going to see yourself. You're going to be able to connect to it. It, it. You may be pulling goddesses that are from a place that you're from, that you have heritage from. You know, All of that is going to be healing. And then I think for white folks, it's really important for you all to take these conversations back to your communities. You have access to other white people in a way that we don't have access to, right? And this is going to hopefully change the way, literally create new neural pathways, you know, so that you have different reactions when you start to see Black bodies. Mm. And my hope is that people who normally have sort of an adverse, negative, physical reaction when they see Black bodies, I'm hoping to reverse that. Mm -hmm. And and I'm hoping that you take that change back to your communities. Mm. Yes. I'm also so excited to like deepen and fortify, supplement. I don't know what the word is. Like mythology is so important. Myth is so mm-hmm. important, right? The the lies that are true, <laughs> the, right? right? Myth is so important. And the way that we receive myth in 21st century Western world, is it's so reduced and it's so 
redacted. It's redacted. It's right. Like there's all of these things that are just like cut out. And I'm so excited to like re-sup, like to re-fortify, to get these stories, to read your not so little book. And really though, um, to read your not so little book and to be moved by, by that as well. Um, It's just really, it's super exciting. Giovanni, thank you so much for being an exemplar of creative courage and for sharing with us so like candidly about the process and about your thinking and about your calling. I'm just, I can't tell you how excited I am for you and happy I am for you and happy I am for all of us that you listened. Ashe, thank you. Thank you for having me, Natalie. Yeah. All right, my friends. Um, Again, you can find all the info about Giovanni's gorgeous deck in our show notes, and you can learn more about Giovanni on her website. It's blackgoddesswithin.com. Blackgoddesswithin.com. All right. Thanks so much for listening, everyone. Bye for now. Thank you for listening to this episode of Mind Witchery. To catch all the magic I'm offering, please subscribe to the show. Or if you want a little bit of weekly witchiness in your inbox, sign up for my Sunday letter at mindwitchery.com. If today's episode made you think of a friend or loved one, your sister, your neighbor, please tell them about it. We need more magic makers in this troubled world. Like all good things, this podcast is co-created by stellar people. Our music is by fabulous DJ, artist, and producer, Shammy D. Our gorgeous art is by the sorcerers at New Moon Creative. Mind Witchery is produced in conjunction with Particulate Media, K.O. Myers, executive producer. And I am Natalie Miller. Till next time.